Thank you, Brass, for toning down the spirit on chapel today. (laughs) Psalm 19, please. We are looking at Psalm 19 this morning. I'm not sure why my PowerPoint says Psalm 8. But we're going to look at Psalm 19 today, God and nature. Psalm 19 is a nature psalm. David spent a lot of time outside. He was a shepherd, slept outside. As a king, he conducted a lot of battles. You didn't stay in the Holiday Inn when you were out on the battlefield. Slept in the open field or slept in a tent. And he writes a number of nature psalms. It is a look at nature, and then it is a look at God, and then he responds to that. So Psalm 8, Psalm 19, Psalm 29, Psalm 65, Psalm 104, Psalm 148, all use nature to introduce us to the greatness of God. Then they routinely go to Scripture. And don't contrast nature and Scripture, but use both of them to bring us to worship God. So in the first six verses of Psalm 19, David here speaks of God speaking. Now, I'm a cessationist. I don't think there's more revelation for our Bibles. John put a back cover on the the New Testament, and I don't think we're getting any more scripture. I think even in the millennium, we won't get new uh, books of the Bible. I think God will speak orally, we will speak orally and carry that new message. But God still speaks. God still speaks in nature. That message is unchanged from David's day. And David, in his wonderfully poetic language, presents the universe as a great cathedral that proclaims the message of the Creator. He speaks of the heavens, the firmaments, the day and the night. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom, coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and a circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The witness of the heavens is unceasing. Every day, the message from yesterday is picked up and carried on, and tomorrow that message will continue. Every night, the message from last night is picked up and is carried through to tonight, and we'll be here again tomorrow night. This is a universal story. It never ends. And it covers all humanity. There's not a nation, there's not a tribe, there's not a language that cannot see the glory of God in nature. It's likened to the sun here rising and traversing in its circuit. Now, we understand that the sun doesn't go back into its tent at night and come out again in the morning. We understand the science. David is speaking as a poet, but he likens the sun to a bridegroom who comes to meet the bride or as a hero who runs joyfully in a race. 
presents the sun as one who has a long journey before him as it rises in the morning, and yet it puts forth all of its energy during the day, confident of victory in its race. And the sun moves across the sky. Nothing hides from its light or from its heat. So too at night. Sun's gone, but the moon comes out, stars rise. And this picture is given over and over, day after day, for the last some 6,000 years, God has been preaching in nature. Now, I realize that we have a problem with Romans 1 with regard to this. If you want to turn to Romans 1, you may. I'm going to read 19 through, verses 19 through 25. Paul there says, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in the unrighteous people, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, into birds and four-footed feasts and beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. David says, look at nature and praise God. Paul says, look at nature and become an idolater. Who's right? Paul or David? Several years ago, I had the opportunity to raft down the Colorado River, the bottom of the Grand Canyon, with a Christian geologist, Dr. Andrew Snelling. Now, for most of that trip, I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, he was talking about, you know, this rock formation and that rock formation and this era of rock and that era of rock. And I'm a theologian, not a geologist. None of his terms made any sense to me. But at one place, we parked the raft and took a short hike, by the way. If you get an opportunity to do this, go for it. Uh, this ought to be on your, your, your lifetime bucket list. But do it when you're young. When you're at the bottom of the Grand Canyon and somebody says, let's go for a hike, there's only one way to go. Up. And when you're in your 60s, um, that takes its toll. Had a friend who was almost helicoptered out of the Grand Canyon because he was older than me and about three times my size. Dr. Snelling took us to a formation called the Great Unconformity. Now, they call it the Unconformity because it doesn't conform. You can see where that, that's, that's my driver, my, my boat driver. They don't call raft drivers captains because when you're driving a raft, captain just doesn't fit. So he's the driver. This is the great unconformity. If you see where his hand is, the rock below that is pretty dark. The rock above that is pretty light. 
the rock below his hand is sedimentary rock. Y'all know what sedimentation is. You know, there's mud and it settles and layers up and then gets hot and gets pressed and turns into rock. It's sedimentary rock. The rock above that is sedimentary rock. The rock below his hand has zero fossils. Zero fossils. The rock above his hand has all kinds of fossils. The unconformity is that there's a billion years of evolution missing. It goes from no life to more than a billion years later in the evolutionary scale. And this boat driver, several years before he took me down the Colorado River, took a group of geologists down to the great unconformity. Now, this man was unsaved. He's evolutionist. He would you know, tell people the evolutionary framework of how the Grand Canyon was formed by the Colorado River, uh, rising, lowering seven different times in its history and carving its way into the, into the Grand Canyon. And, um, and he would show them this great unconformity. And the, the normal explanation is, is that some glacier came through at some point and scraped a billion years worth of sedimentation out and, and left the higher levels. The problem is, is that this great unconformity shows up in various places all the way from Arizona to Scotland. This is one big glacier. But if you go back 600 million years, the evolutionists would argue that this earth was a snowball. That with the exception of a small little band around the equator, Basically, the oceans were slush, and Wisconsin was buried under hundreds of feet of snow and ice, along with the rest of the world. Aren't you glad for global warming? (laughs) So a group of geologists came. They gathered at this great unconformity. They spent five days there discussing and presenting ideas on how did this happen? Because the glacier doesn't work very well, because if you've got this glaciation over the entire earth and it pushes away a billion years worth of evolution and then comes higher levels of evolution, how did that happen if the entire earth was basically a snowball? So that one has some problems. So they were discussing all of the options, got to the end of their time there, uh, getting back on the raft, and they were all talking about We don't have a clue. And this evolutionist, boat driver, is thinking, wow, all these PhDs, all these guys with all this experience, they don't know how this happened. Interesting. Fast forward a little bit. A young lady gets on his raft one day. They're going down the river. He's giving his evolutionary spiel. Uh, On about day two, she says, you know, it didn't happen that way. He says, what do you mean? She said, didn't happen that way. He said, what do you mean? She said, it didn't happen that way. He said, how did it happen? She said, there was this flood, covered the whole world. He brushes her off, moves on to his next evolutionary point. She says, so the whole raft can hear, didn't happen that way. He says, I know, your flood, yep. She starts to explain how it happened. They go on. 
day after day, there's this interchange. Here's the evolutionary spiel. Here's her. Didn't happen that way. At the end of the trip, he said, well, you made my, my trip enjoyable, at least. It was different. She hands him a Bible, and she said, would you read this if I give it to you? You always got to please the customers, you know. So he says, sure, be glad to. Sticks it in his backpack and goes on with the next few weeks. Rafting, driving rafts down the Colorado River is not a full-time job. It only happens a few weeks during the summer. So his next gig was a trip out to Pakistan for an oil exploration company. He's got to set up camp, get all the equipment in, then all the high-paid people come in, the engineers and the geologists and the well diggers and all that sort of thing. They all show up. So he gets out there, sets camp up, and it snows. And it snows. And it snows. And he is locked into camp. He can't go anywhere. Nobody can come into camp. He's stuck. And after a couple of days, he finally is digging around in his backpack looking for something to do because he's bored out of his gourd. And what does he find? He finds a Bible. And he starts reading at the logical place to start a book at the beginning. And of course, you don't get very far into Genesis before you run into that stupid flood that lady was telling me about. And he backs up and he reads through it again and he backs up and he reads through it again. He said, this is fascinating. He read the entire Bible while he was there waiting for the others to arrive. When he got home, he went back, checked his records, found this lady's contact information. He calls her on the phone. He said, can I meet with you? She says, sure. He says, I'll be there. Gave her a time. And she and her pastor met with him and led him to the Lord. Now, he went back to driving boats. He was driving the same boat down the same river, looking at the same rock formations, going to the same great disconformity, unconformity. But he had a whole different story this time. Nothing changed in the Grand Canyon. It was the same data. What was different? His perspective. His presuppositions. So when Paul talks about the danger of general revelation, the danger of looking for God in nature is that you end up an idolater, is because the unsafe person comes to the data of the universe and tries to create a God. The Christian comes to the data of the universe, and we celebrate God the Creator. So Paul's right. David's right. So when we took our trip down the Colorado River, this believer is loving being with a bunch of Christians who understand the biblical approach to the Grand Canyon. We had a great time, and we celebrated God. Now, God speaks today. However, God also spoke. We don't have time. Our chapel time's about up.
meaning of Scripture is given in verses 7 through 11. Wasn't planning on spending much time there. I'm not going to spend any time there. Uh, you guys get preached at from all over the Bible, um, day after day after day. You go out on the weekends, you go to church. You are hopefully by now getting pretty familiar with God speaking in the past, God giving to us revelation. Now, for David, it was pretty much Moses' law. That was his Bible. wasn't much else written in David's day. And so David is focusing on the law here. And so as you look through verses 7 through 11, uh, you got the law, you've got the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear, the judgment. There's a whole string of titles that, Paul, that David uses here for the law. When we get to verses 12 through 14, God speaks in nature. God spoke in Scripture, and the conclusion is we must listen. We have to pay attention to what God is telling us. So who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David speaks of those sins we commit that we don't even know we've done them. We don't even realize they've, they've happened. He speaks of those sins that we know we are committing, that we know they are wrong. And David asks for forgiveness for both. When the unknown sins are forgiven and the willful sins are prevented, then David says, I can stand upright before my God. Not perfect because the sins have to keep being forgiven. And the presumptuous sins have to keep being resisted. But David wanted to stand upright before God. And so he closes this Psalm with the name of Jehovah. He has used this name some seven times in this psalm. He calls him the rock and the redeemer. And he shows us that we need to take all three parts of this psalm and put them together. God speaks in nature. Dr. Davis was talking about the glorious weather we're having. God speaks to you of his greatness and his grace. As Dr. Davis said, you'll need that in a few weeks. You'll step out of your dorm and you won't feel so great about the weather. But understand, it's still God speaking in nature. It's still him demonstrating his variety, his creativity, and his love for you even in the coldest of days. But we cannot step aside from Scripture because nature, general revelation, it's not sufficient. It's not enough to lead us into a relationship with God. That comes from Scripture. So Paul closes his prayer, bringing the entire universe, the Word of God, and the meditation of our heart 
to a final conclusion. God is our creator. He is our savior. He is worthy to be praised. Father, thank you for David, for his psalms. Thank you, Lord, for what you have given to us in the world around us and in the Bible before us. Help us, Lord, to be true to you in all that we do, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.